my wife, uh, she always surprised about that. O sea, she tell me, o sea, you get excited like your first hunt. And I think that's the, the medicine of falconry. O sea, it, it, you can't stop doing it. Going to the field with Lucy and with a marshal on top, with a telemetry tree, it's a, a, a nice time. Hey, how's it going, everyone? Welcome back for another episode of the Falconry Toll Podcast. And this episode is now the fourth installment of our first ever international series featuring some of the awesome falconers from Mexico. And as usual, we'll go ahead and start off by giving props to some of the people that have continued to lend their support to the podcast to help continue to make it possible. The first of which, of course, is Marshall Radio Telemetry, who you also heard Martine give some props to in the intro there. And Marshall Radio Telemetry, the fine folks there, the makers of the most carefully engineered and reliable tracking systems available, including the awesome GPS system. So if you want to find out more about their awesome products, just head to marshallradio.com. Also have to give a shout out to Pursuit Falconry and Conservation Magazine for their continued cross-promotional effort with us in promoting the art of falconry across the world. If you haven't gotten a chance to check out their bi-monthly magazine yet, you're missing out on a lot of great new falconry content, so I highly suggest you go to pursuitfalconry.co.uk and check it out and subscribe now. And of course, you have to give a shout out to the North American Falconers Association and the Falconry Fund for their continued contributions to the falconry community. In particular, the Raptor and Falconry Small Grants Program that continues to stimulate innovative science, outreach, and scholarly activities for the North American falconry community and specifically supports raptor conservation, falconry traditions, and falconers themselves. And for more information on the Falconry Fund or the North American Falconers Association, just head to falconryfund.org or n-a-f-a.com and you can find out more about these programs and the other things that NAFA and the Falconry Fund are doing for the falconry community. All right, and the next part of our journey through Mexico takes us to Aguas Calientes, where we met up with a couple more falconers, the first being Martin Guzman. He was nice enough to show us some really cool peregrine flights and afterwards invited us to his home, where we got a chance to ask him more about his falconry experiences and personal stories. So with that being said, I give you all Martin Guzman. Here we go. Well, thank you, Martin, for welcome. You know, for having me in your home, and um, we're in uh, Aguas Calientes. Correct? Aguas Calientes, that's right, John. Yeah, yeah. I, uh, my pronunciation with all this stuff is is truly terrible, so you'll have to forgive me, and everyone listening will have to go ahead and forgive me as well. But yeah, the, I mean, it's been a great few days. I can't uh, I can't give enough compliments to everyone for their hospitality and. Uh, the kindness that they've shown me and taken me around and shown me some great hawking and some great, great food about a million times over. It's been <laughs> awesome. Um, but yeah, so what was it? But speaking of food, what was it that we just ate again? Well, uh, the, the soup was a, a soup of uh, mushrooms with uh, nopales. Okay. Cactus in English. And then the second plate, we had a chile rellenos. Mm-hmm. A chili relleno with meat inside. I've had that before, but it wasn't near as good. Thank you. As, Thank you. Is what it was here, you know, for sure. I mean, I've had in a lot of the other, um, you know, uh, uh, quote unquote authentic Mexican restaurants yes. in the U.S., but but nowhere near as good. So. Thank you. Thank yeah. you. I appreciate that uh, you like it. Yeah, but uh, but yeah, for everyone listening, I mean, we we just got done basically completing a what probably. Four hourish, maybe hunt. Yes, I think we start at nine o'clock and we got back close to three o'clock. Yeah. Okay. We so we went to a place in called La Providencia. It's a ranch from a friend. It's at uh, two thousand uh, uh, hectares of place, and it's an ideal place for hunting. I've been flying there for the last forty years. Forty years. Yes. Wow. Yes, it's a long time. Forty years. Yeah, you've been so you've been flying there longer than I've been alive. That's nuts. <laughs> well, you're a young guy yet. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I mean, we we get older each year, but uh, but no, that's that's nuts. No, that's awesome though that you've had that consistent of a. Sp- I don't know if I know of hardly anyone in any country so far that I've talked to that has had that much of a consistent access to a spot that hasn't been, you know plowed over or you know um, 
developed or whatever yes. the case is. So and that's amazing. Yes, I, I, I was born in Mexico City. Mm-hmm. And uh, the first time I got in touch with birds, I, I, I was 12. Uh, flying falcons in Mexico City, it's always difficult. You have to travel hours to get out. So in the first chance I had to get out from Mexico City, I came to live to Aguascalientes. I've been living here for the last uh, 40 years. My father was born in Aguascalientes, so we always had the contact in this city. Hmm. So uh, when I visit these places, when I was young, I, I noticed it's an ideal place for flying. I had friends that they had beautiful branches, as you have seen, and that's the reason I came. I came first single, and then I got married in 91, and my three kids were born in Aguascalientes, so I think I'm going to die here, flying falcons. <laughs> <laughs> well, I can think of worse ways to, to go out. Yes. You know, yeah, that's, uh, well, and I, and I hope that your, uh, your goal you know, comes, comes true. I hope that all these uh, places that you have here stay intact and uh, you know, they, they don't get taken away from you like, like so many spots that we've had. And, that's uh, true. Yeah, you know, so, well, I mean, and, and so as far as the, the type of, of ranch that we were at today, I mean, how many ac- how many spots do you have access to that are like that? Well, it, it, like that ranch, maybe I have another five or six friends with that kind of places. Man. But the one we visit today, I think that's my favorite place. Every time we have visits from other countries, like you or other friends from Europe or Spain or wherever, uh, that's an ideal place to go and visit, an ideal place to be around. And as you see, uh, there is a lot of hunt. Mm-hmm. Every year we get uh, different kinds of dogs, and it's a, a beautiful pl- place to fly, be around, and have nice lunches and nice, nice talks and nice hunting. Yeah, it was definitely awesome today. I mean, we saw how many different species of ducks, at least three I or four? I think at least from 15 to 20 different species we get every year in Aguascalientes. Mm-hmm. We saw what? There's a few we of them saw, today. We like... saw pintails, we saw mm-hmm. widgeons, we saw gadwells. Three different kinds of teals. Teal, yeah. There mm-hmm. were two teals that we hunt. They were green wind teals. But that's the, the good part, that uh, every time you release, uh, there are plenty of dogs. And I'm lucky uh, about uh, flying falcons in Aguascalientes because our season, it's a long, very long. I, start, I get the falcons in June out of the mutes, and I start flying in July, and I end the season in March. Wow. So I've been hunting, started, it's nine, nine months of hunting. That's nuts. I see friends in USA that in Utah, the weather is terrible. So they have very short periods of hunting because the weather is difficult. And as you can see in Aguascalientes, the weather is, is very nice. So the season, it's nine months every year. So I've been doing it for the last 35 years, hunting dogs, and I love it. Man, and so... As far as the um, uh, the number of falcons that you've flown, I, I, I know you flew two today. That's right. Uh, I mean, have you been flying for, for that whole time? Have you been flying at least an average of, of two peregrines or other? Normally, I fly two. Mm-hmm. Uh, other seasons, I had three, not more than three. Mm-hmm. The falcons that you saw flying today, it's Lucy and Pia. And these birds are passage anatoms. Mm-hmm. I caught them in the same places where we fly. That's another advantage I have. If you lose a falcon, it normally you find it next day around because they were born there and live around. And uh, the two falcons you saw flying today, uh, there are 30, uh, 13 seasons flying. So 13 years with me. Before these uh, two birds, I flew another anatom passage called Golondrina. And this bird, I flew it for 18 seasons. That's the oldest falcon I've had. 18 seasons flying and hunting in the same places. Even when I started with these two falcons, Lucy and Pia, uh, 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 the third falcon was Golondrina. And Golondrina got killed uh, hunting a blue wind teal. Uh, she crashed uh, to the floor. Mm. She didn't die in that moment, but uh, two weeks later she, she died, she passed away. Was it probably from um, a, a bleed or something, yes, a slow yes. bleed? Yes, it, it got that. his eye closed mm-hmm. and then he stopped not eating well, and two weeks later, I found it dead in the block. But I was lucky to have it for 18, 18 years hunting. So, uh, 
I estimate I killed with that bear uh, more than uh, 1,500 dogs in those 18 years. So that's wow, man, the that's... lucky part to have it. Yeah, that's that's incredible because I, I think that um, that's kind of um, an attestation to just how safe the places that you fly are. I mean, it, it, it goes a lot, you know, to, I mean, it, to be able to fly a bird for that many seasons without something bad happening That's to true. it or it dying or, you know, it hitting something or whatever the case is. I mean, you're, you definitely seem like you're very blessed to have these spots that are very safe to fly, which I'm sure is a big reason why you've been able to keep these birds. For I so agree long. with you, John. So I have friends that they normally change birds every season. The good part is the birds are born here. They are passage and uh, they fly in the same ponds for the last 13 seasons. So they know perfectly where is going to fly the dog. If they don't kill it in the first stoop, they'll go to another place, but they know perfectly. So the routine, I think it helps a lot. Yeah. And what I'm very lucky is to, to have a nine months season that helps a lot. Yeah, that's so it's a long season. Yeah, you, you definitely are <laughs> are very are very fortunate to have that. Yes, it, you mentioned like uh, you know people in you know Idaho or, or other falconers that are out west in the U.S. Yes, and, I mean just this season is an example that um, like just this season there's there's been a few friends of mine that have had very short seasons just because the winter has been so bad already. You it's, know, it's and, hard winter. Yes, mm -hmm, and and they just haven't had any opportunities to fly just because the you know, the snow and everything has just been so terrible. It's terrible, yes. Yeah. I've been flying in Utah with friends, and to walk to the Falcon, maybe 50 or 100 meters, it takes you half an hour. <laughs> yeah. So the weather is hard. Mm -hmm. That's yeah. what I like from Aguascalientes, no yeah. doubt. So, I mean, has, I mean, has it always been like that here, though? I mean, I mean, has... Pretty much. I mean, has there ever been any weird weather spells or anything here? Last two years, we had a terrible dry season. Was, uh, many of the ponds that we flew today, mm -hmm. they were dry. Mm -hmm. But uh, normally, we we get water every season, rainy season. So normally, we get as many dogs as you saw today. Okay. So yeah, that that's kind of one of the things that you know can affect your. That's yeah, true. Yeah, I mean, so that's yeah, true. I mean, it's just it's kind of like almost the. Um, you know, the virus, the he the hemorrhagic virus with the jackrabbits, you know, cer certain little things pop up every so often to, to kind of, uh, you know, mess up your, your seasons occasionally. I like agree. That. Yeah, okay. I agree. Well, that's, I mean, that gives me a, a really good idea of, I mean, just even the difference between here and uh, and Monterey. Yes. You know, um, it's, like I said, it's, uh, Rodrigo was telling me that they've had a, a big drought issue up there as well. That's true. And, uh, yeah, I mean, it's not ever having been here before and with me, you know, mentioning several times, you know, to friends and also on this podcast, podcast that I'm a, a geographical idiot, you know, <laughs> I, I don't really know, you know, how the differences and locations are compared to each other in a lot of these different places that, you know, I've never been obviously. So it's, yeah, I mean, it, it it's given me a really good idea the last couple of days about how the differences are in the terrain and the climates in these different areas. I agree. So. Yeah. As you know, Mexico is a huge country, so mm -hmm. uh, it's so big that uh, depending on the country that you live, the, the city where you live, it, it changed completely the weather, the climate, the altitude. Yeah. But Aguascalientes, I think it's a nice place to, to live and to fly. Mm -hmm. And I think that's the reason why I've been so, for so long flying and, and living here. Yeah, no, that's, that's great. Like I said, I'm happy for you. Thank I, uh, you. Yeah, I'm, I'm always happy for, for people that are able to, to maintain, you yes. know, their, their, their falconry practice and, and not have it, uh, you know, messed with. I mean, yes. it's, it's almost unheard of these days. So that's we, great. We were talking about it. Uh, we agreed that uh, to fly falcons and to be in the field quite often, sometimes it's always difficult. Also, uh, work and travels. And I think I'm lucky that uh, I, I can stay in Aguascalientes without moving and selling cars. I need to sell cars to mm -hmm. continue flying. Yeah, and, and you sell cars for, for Toyota, right? Yes, that's yeah. right. Yeah. That's right. And another important thing that we haven't talked about it is uh, the new equipment to fly Falcons. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, being part of Marshall and, and the new equipment, it, it makes things much easier. And as you saw today, you can release the Falcon, 
wait half an hour, the Falcon can go up, down, come back, and then flush. And that's a, a nice thing. And to fly alone, it's also a, a big difference from the last equipment. And I think that's a, a, a great part of also the, the sport of flying Falcons. Sure. Yeah. And I have, I have the GPS system also, you know, and I've, I've flown it with uh, the couple of long wings that I've you know, had and even just, you know, the red tails and, and Harris's that I've had recently, I've, I've used it on. And, and really, I mean, everybody, I think initially is a little um, hesitant about the, you know, the cost to get into a system like that. But what I tell people, and I'm sure you probably agree with this is the first time you come close to losing a bird or the first time you have to retrieve a bird, just that difference in getting your bird back in 10 or 15 minutes versus a, a day potentially, or whatever the case is. Yes. I mean, the first time you have to, to, to use it and you get your bird back that quick, you you instantly think that this is worth every penny. There is no price yeah. when you get your Falcon back. I mm -hmm. agree with you. Yeah. John. Yeah. I was visiting a uh, Robert Bagley in, in Malarts for a weekend and he invited me to visit his museum with all the equipment that Marshall, how it started. It's and neat, I had the it? opportunity to fly with each of everyone. Mm -hmm. I flew with that one and then with that one and then with that one. But the new one, it's no compare and things are much easier and it's a different way of flying. And thanks Robert for getting this equipment in the market. <laughs> well, Marshall, folks, there's your there's your plug for for this episode. <laughs> no, it's no I and and the the people at Marshall are great too. They're, they're great, great people. They yes. got great customer service and they're great to work with. Great and, people. Yes, yeah. I agree with you. Yeah, but yeah. So I mean, as far as um, you know, you you kind of touched a little bit though, as far as the balance between your your work and getting you know the I guess the privilege you could say to have spots that are close i mean how so how many times per week do you get a fly i normally go to fly every tuesday thursday and saturday and sunday okay normally during the week tuesday and thursday i fly to pigeons and then the weekend i go hunting dogs that's mm -hmm. my normal routine vacations december and other vacations i normally take a, a week 10 days flying and always that we have friends from other places it, we, it's a good excuse to also stop working and go flying like today. Mm -hmm. Oh, that's that's perfect. Yeah. Yes. I mean, so is is there a particular reason why you mainly just fly the pigeons during the week or for time? So normally during uh, the, during the week uh, I have to work, so mm -hmm. I take a, a couple of hours, go flying, and get back to work. And then the weekend that you have more time, then we go for look for for hunting. Okay. That's normally what we do. Well, and I keep forgetting too that the the way that you guys do your you know your breaks and things like that around your work schedule is is different than yes. than in the U. I mean, I always forget that, and that's another reason why, like, you know, hearing about the differences in in the cultures with some because, I mean, we get a half hour break, you know, at, at best, yes. <laughs> you know, if, if if we're at work and and uh, yeah, so I mean, being able to to fit that into a lunch break for us, we'd have to have a, a special job or work at home or something like that, you know, sure. to, so, I mean, so you, do you, you, you get like an, an hour or two on average? Yes. Normally I take two hours okay. to go hunting, uh, uh, flying pigeons. And during the weekend take maybe four or five hours. Uh, the good thing as you saw today, uh, John is the distance from Aguascalientes to the hunting areas. It's very near mm -hmm. and that helps a lot. So, uh, in half an hour, we could be hunting dogs and getting back. So uh, it won't take you more than an hour traveling car and being in places like you visit today. Yeah. Well, and yeah, compared to, um, you know, the type of drives that guys like Enrique and Rodrigo and, and them have to make, you know, with that's an true. hour and a half to two hours or whatever, that's that's yes. obviously way better. <laughs> yes. Once I, I was invited in Spain to go flying with some Spanish guys and only to take to the place, to the hunting place, we drove close to four hours. Wow. And then four hours getting back. I really admire those uh, falconers because it's a long time in, in the road. But I think everyone that has the passion will understand that when you want to be flying and hunting, not even four hours of cars it will stop you. And, well, I'm lucky to have it so near. And I think that's the reason why I'm living in Aguascalientes. 
Yeah. I mean, getting to fly your bird four times a week is still great. You maintain it in shape. Yeah. That's yeah. true. I mean, I think all of us would, you know, still prefer to be able to fly almost every day. But, you know, I mean, having that, that day off in between to it, also it kind of crop up your bird and, and you know, that, do things like that, I th I'm sure probably helps also with your weight management things too, right? I agree. Totally, yeah. yes. Yeah, well, that's that's great. Like I said, as far as, um, I guess this would be a good time to go ahead and, and get a little bit of information then about, you know, you said you grew up in Mexico City. That's right. I, I was born in Mexico City. Mm -hmm. uh, the first falcon I had the opportunity to to get in my hands and, and, and touch, I was 12. Mm -hmm. I feel really lucky that since that moment, I always been having a bird in the garden. Uh, I love to have a bird to fly. As I told you, flying birds uh, from living in Mexico City is long distance to get out, lots of traffic. So the best decision I took is to come and live at Huascalientes, as, as I told you, and uh, I stayed here. So uh, I've been flying. I started when I was young with lots of different kinds of uh, birds, Harris hawk, red tails, and then I imported a ghost hawk from Europe. Then I flew to Golden Eagles, and uh, at the end, uh, when I started with peregrines and passage peregrines, then I flew lots of uh, peregrines, uh, tundra peregrines. We used to go trap them in the Gulf. But then uh, I discovered the anatoms in the 80s, and I think I got in love with them. And since then, I've been flying, as, as, as I told you, only anatoms, only passage. I try with males, but I prefer to, fly, uh, to hunt with females for the size of hunts that you can do. And the risk uh, when they are in the field, uh, it's a little bit lower also. Okay. Well, and as far as whenever you were a kid and you discovered that first bird, did you have any knowledge of falconry at all? No, no, no. I knew that you can hunt. I, I always like hunting. I like to shot also with shotguns. And then suddenly I knew that uh, you can train a bird and hunt. So I got it together, and as I told you, I got the first red tail when I was 12, and since that day, I think you have it in your blood. When you have it, you can live it, and that's my life. That's part of my life. As I told you, this season I had a surgery in my leg. I had to stop flying for four months, and I was close to kill someone. So <laughs> I, it wasn't easy. <laughs> I'm sure. I'm sure. Well, I mean, nobody wants to be bedridden for that long in, on a normal circumstance, no. let alone when it's taking you away from something that you love to do. And so, I mean, I, I totally understand. But what were you primarily, you know, hunting initially then with some of the first birds that you had, like that red tail around? Yes, Mexico rabbits, uh, mainly rabbits. Uh, in, in Mexico City, I used to go hunting also rats. I used to live <laughs> close to a place where they have lots of horses. So I used to go with the Harris hog hunting rats. And then we got the tundras and we used to hunt the Las Garzas, the white Garzas. And then from then uh, I came to Aguascalientes and start doing it with dogs. And then we continue hunting dogs. <laughs> As I told you, starting the season uh, before, the dogs normally get to Aguascalientes at the end of June, July or beginning of August. Before that, uh, we get the curlus, the sarapito that we call it, and the ganga, that they are the two passage birds that they cross uh, in the rainy season in Aguascalientes. So I start the season hunting them, and then in August that we start getting dogs, uh, I continue hunting dogs uh, till March, as I told you. Okay. I mean, it's <laughs> so going, going back a little bit then, how did you get into the whole hunting rats thing like uh, how, how did you fall into that i mean well, aside, aside from i mean you said that you, you had places that you had horses or whatever right but yes it's in a hippodromo where they race horses mm -hmm. and my father used to ride my father ride horses all his life mm -hmm. so i used to go when he, i was young with him and i used to see a lot of movement on rats around las caballerizas where you keep the horses or where they keep the food so I got it together. It was, uh, the Harris and the Red Tails are ideal for killing anything. <laughs> so I think that was the easiest way to start hunting. And rats, it was very funny to kill them. I think it's something like the guys in America, I see it, that they hunt squirrels mm -hmm. with red tails. Yeah. 
So I think it's, it's to be in touch with wild and to see the hunt and seeing different things. I think, yes, I remember hunting rats now 46 years later or so, but it came <laughs> with this conversation. So did you just walk around with the with the bird on your on yes, your glove and just yes, and sometimes the the paca where they use it for feeding the feeding the horses, it, you you start getting getting it up, so they start running and at the end you leave two or three, and at the end when you lift those three, they run lots of rats. <laughs> That's funny. That's a different way of hunting. Yeah, yeah, it is. Well, <laughs> I've talked to people before also that. Uh, you know, kind of to get the, the get their start, and you know, whenever they didn't really have access to a lot of different places to hunt, and when they were first getting their falconry, you know, kind of uh, wings under them, so to speak, you know, pun intended, I guess. Um, you know, they would uh, go to landfills, yes. and uh, and you know, just kind of hunt rats around <laughs> landfills and things like that too. I've heard those kind of stories as well. But. And the important thing is in that age, 12, 13, 14, uh, you don't drive. So the only way is to walk. And that was a place close to my house. So that was ideal to get your bird and mm. start seeing some blood and hunting. Mm. Well, and how, how hard was it to get to those places when you were a kid in Mexico City? Uh, walking was... distance. It was uh, 10 minutes, 15 minutes walking distance. Wow. So that, I'm sure that, that changed a lot with... Um, you know, like the construction and stuff over time and totally. the growth of that city as well. I'm totally, sure. yes. Yes, uh, in the moment I have the opportunity to get out of Mexico City, to live in a city that big, more than 20 million people live in Mexico City, uh, I, wasn't, uh, uh, I wasn't prepared to live in a huge city that size. Hmm. Traffic and everything is quite difficult. So in the moment, the moment I had the opportunity to get out of Mexico City, I came to Aguascalientes. I came with some friends, Falconer friends, and they also stayed hunting here. And I think we have a nice group of hunting people. Good. It makes all the difference. Yes. Yeah. I mean, whenever I you have a lot of people around that are good to be around. I agree know. with that. Yes. Yeah. Well, and, and so since you've had the ability to go hawking in several different areas, you know, Spain, the United States, I mean, just out of curiosity, what, in your opinion, kind of separates falconry in Mexico compared to, you know, some of these other countries? I have the opportunity to be in, in USA, mm -hmm. in Wyoming, in Utah. I also has, I, I was a couple of years ago in, in Scotland. I've been in Spain hunting. And I can tell you in each place I visit, you find great falconers, mm -hmm. great falconers, different styles, different kinds of birds, different weather, countryside. But at the, at the end, they get you like you know them for lots of years. And that's the great thing, the great part of falconry. And that's what we do also here in Mexico. So even if you don't know the people, they are always welcome. And uh, I've been seeing hunting grouses and uh, the partridge and even dogs. And every part has his style and his way of hunting and that's what i like of traveling and seeing all the all the falcons hunting oh, and, and is there any particular thing though as far as you know being here in mexico i mean do you think there's anything that's kind of more unique that um you know the the falconry in mexico kind of offers as far like compared to some of these other places i or? think one of the main things that a big difference with Mexico, with maybe with the USA, where I've been flying with Falcons, is the weather. I think the weather here helps a lot. Also, uh, being flying in Wyoming in the winter time, it you can cry. It's terrible. It's terrible. <laughs> and if you are not used to it, it's it's difficult. That's what I, I admire of the American Falconers. Also, the weather. Also, with that picture, Steve Children, that I was lucky to be flying with them, the weather is hard when you are not used to it. Mm. And then when I get back to Aguascalientes, I say thanks. <laughs> thanks, Aguascalientes, that we have a nice weather. Good. Yeah, well, I mean, that's that's a good point. I mean, the, just to having the, um, the the consistency in the weather and, and the opportunity to have those nine-month seasons, I'm sure is uh, that in and of itself is, is, is very unique compared yes. to a lot of places that have more you know, just more designated seasons. Yes, yeah. and it's a long distance. Also, it's a long season. As uh, uh, I, 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 I estimate that I killed 
from 120 to 150 dogs in that period, depending on the season, depending how many water. But that's the lucky part, or so the lucky part to, to have so many kinds of different kinds of dogs and the weather that helps, that helps a lot. Mm -hmm. Sometimes like today, maybe it could be windy, but normally the 90% of the time we have a beautiful weather and close. Well, and, and the, the opportunities that you've had then to see some of the, the, the falconry in some of these other countries, what's been your, your favorite thing that you've seen? Or this, uh, I, think, I think a, a, a being with that picture and a Steve Children hunting in, in Wyoming, I think that was amazing. The grouse hunting, it's amazing. Even with the weather, it was, uh, seeing those birds, that size of hunt uh, flying and the feathers, seeing the dogs, it, uh, that's, uh, as I, you know, I used labs to get the dogs out, uh -huh. but seeing a pointer working in the field for hours with that weather and that time, uh, that really likes me. It, and it's a thing that I don't do here in Aguascaliente. So uh, Wyoming hunting grouse, I think I'll remember for a lifetime. Yeah, I've, I've not gotten an opportunity to, to do that yet. I've, um, ironically enough, I've been uh, working at a hospital you know, uh, before a couple times, not more than 40 minutes away from the house of grouse. And for one reason or another, I just, you know, because of different circumstances, I still haven't gotten a chance to, um, you know, to see any hunts or anything up there. Oh, but uh, don't, uh, Osa, don't pass your time without uh, seeing it because it, it's really worth it. I'm sure really it'll, it'll, it. I'm sure it'll happen at some point that or, or somewhere. That little place that Steve has is beautiful, mm -hmm. really beautiful. Osa, to have that size of area and moving around and seeing wild animals and eagles and everything around it's it's different and beautiful well i mean as far as other types of um you know prey or I mean, we, we've kind of had this conversation the last couple of days during these long drives and things you know just to occupy time but you know we've we've kind of talked about you know the different things that you kind of would like to fly or would like to hunt that you don't normally or wouldn't get the norm, normal opportunities to do that. I mean, is there anything prey-wise or even like a different type of bird? I know you've flown so many different types of birds, as you as you said. Yes, but I, I start with different kinds of birds. Hmm. But the last, I think, 35 years, I stopped and I stayed with passage anatoms. Hmm. I tried with males and I wasn't that lucky hmm. for X razones and... I think if I get a new falcon, it's going to be another female at passage anatom to just, be three in the team. Just love them that much. And yeah. I, I'm not sure, but I think with age, uh, what you want to do is what you try that works. Mm -hmm. And I'm sometimes friends that they breed birds, they offer me some new birds. And I think uh, I won't move what I'm doing till today. Well, maybe my falcons, they are 13 years old, maybe another five, I'll get them flying and maybe I'll get a new ones. But I think it's going to be a passage one. There's nothing wrong with that. No, you know, no, 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 nothing wrong with that at all. I mean, is there, is there anything that you wish that you could hunt other than ducks? But, uh, starting the season, sarapitos uh, uh, and gangas, and then continue with, with, with ducks. Mm -hmm. Those three are my passion every season. And I think I hope I have many years in front to continue doing it. <laughs> so you're you're definitely one of the types that's that's just totally content and and in love still with with what you're doing and don't don't even wish for anything else. I then. think so. I I think the the older you get, uh, you don't want to get new risks and new adventures. <laughs> uh, what we do when we get together is that we invite friends from different places, even from the state or whatever, they bring different kinds of birds. There are friends that fly merlins or a goshawk or even a golden eagle. So that's nice because we organize different kinds of hunts, but everyone is specialized in, in their bird. I prefer that. If I know a guy that's flying a good merlin in Querétaro, well, I'll call him and invite him. Would you like to come flying your bird? And we get together and it's share. Yes. I think that's easier than to get a, your own bird and try to get in, get hunting with it. So you you uh, you kind of um, 
live vicariously and scratch your your itch to do other things through other people then you yes know, just... I, I think that's the good thing of falconry yes mm-hmm. sharing it yeah sharing um, it yeah there's there's nothing wrong with sharing diversity with with yes. other people's experiences yes. too yeah. and everything is new for you when you you see another kind of bird that you never flew it's always nice to see how they do it how they uh, do all the hunting around it yeah well, like today, for example, you yes. know, I mean, I told you that, you know, today's actually the first day that I've actually, I mean, I've seen, you know, some, um, some peregrines stoop, you know, pigeons or whatever the case is. Um, but I, this is the first time that I've actually gotten to see a, a peregrine actually take wild game and, you know, actually get some ducks, you know. So I'm happy. I am, I'm happy that you like it, John. Yeah. And the good thing of this is that no hunting, it's the same. It's amazing. And you said it this morning in the field. When you see the hunting is going to start, you get anxious, you get excited, <laughs> like it was going to be my first flight. And that's the passion of falconry. You it, have it in your blood and it excites you. I was able to identify it instantly. You know, you, you got those <laughs> binoculars out, you know, you got the binos out, and you, you know, as soon as you saw those ducks on that point, he's like, you couldn't get those those binos back on the console quick enough and get out of the truck quick enough to get your bird ready. I mean, it was, it was, it was really kind of amusing, you know, I mean, just cause I can relate, you know, I mean, any falconer that, that, that knows, you know, that feeling understands and yes. you know, gets a little bit of a kick out of, out of seeing that in other falconers. My so. wife, uh, she always surprised about that. Osa. She tells me, Osa, you get excited, like the, your first hunt. And I think that's the, the medicine of falconry, Osa, mm-hmm. it, it, you can't stop doing it, Osa. To yeah. be in contact with the field, being hunting, seeing the dog works, and all the talks and launches and, and everything we do around, it's what maintains my hobby alive. Well, yeah, because otherwise, why do it? You know, if you yes. don't, if you don't get that excited and and you um and you you're bored by it or you're not having much fun, then there's yes. no reason to do it, right? I agree with you. Yeah. I agree. I think in life we have to have a hobby, any hobby, but something that passions you mm. and moves moves you around. That's I think what falconry do to me. Well, and as far as the other birds that you've flown, this is this is the part where I definitely like to get some good stories out of out of the people that that we have on you know, as guests. And first of all, I, I want to go a little bit more into, you know, a couple of the experiences that you've had with like out, out of these peregrines that you've flown, which one has been, do you think your, your best one? And Lucy, the bird that you saw today mm-hmm. flying, uh, I think is one of the best birds I've had. It has a great character. It's a, it's an, a beautiful bird. And I think, Lucy, I'm lucky that today I can tell you I've been flying after 46 years, my best bird, and it's Lucy. Uh, when I was uh, with a problem with my leg, uh, she also got sick. She was close to die, and uh, she recovered, and now she's flying again. But Lucy, I think, is my best bird. After Lucy, I think Golondrina, the bird that flew it for 18 seasons. Golondrina... And then lots of different kinds of birds. But these two birds, I think that they are my favorite birds, Golondrina and, and Lucy. And is there a, a particular, I don't know, like, uh, out of the traits that you, you said that they're, you know, they had special traits, I mean, is there one particular trait of theirs that, that kind of stands out more than others that you like about them? Lucy... Uh, she always, always waits on top of me, and that helps a lot. As you can see, she can move around, but mm-hmm. it's very rare when I have to go and look for her. Different with Pia. Pia, the other bird, uh, she's more. Uh, uh, she, if she waits too much, sometimes she goes hunting oh, alone. Exactly. Mm-hmm. So that's what I appreciate of Lucy. Things look easier. And she's doing it for the last 13 years and going to the field with Lucy and with a marshal on top, with a telemetry tree, it's a, a, a nice time to go hunting. Well, I mean, if there's a trait to admire, that would be it, I'm sure. Yes. <laughs> Especially when a, a bird that, I mean, some of these altitudes or elevations that you're reaching with, with these birds, yes. you know, I mean, 
I, like the the couple of of ducks that um, that were caught today, about how high was the pintail? Lucy came from seven hundred meters. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure in your measurements. Uh, if anybody want, if anybody uh, listens and wants to do the conversion, they can do it. They can break yes. out their calculator okay. and, and do it. <laughs> in, in La Providencia, where we flew today, uh, I got a measure from Lucy getting a stoop in 285 kilometers. Mm-hmm. I think it's close to 200 miles, more or less. But mm-hmm. so that's a good thing of that place that we visit today. It's very open area, so you can leave birds to go very high. What's been some of the highest altitudes that you've had? At two kilometers, it's normally very high. Wow! That's... The higher they get, the faster they get down. That's the truth. Mm-hmm. But then you have to calculate uh, the next pond, how far it is. Mm-hmm. So if the bird is too high, the dogs will get to the next pond. And uh, then you have to calculate the stoop. Mm. And as far as you know, the style that you've pretty much flown these peregrines with i mean you still pretty much kind of prefer doing the thermals and things like that right yes sometimes uh, i go flying also in the morning seven Mm -hmm. o'clock in the morning at that time you don't get thermals Mm -hmm. the birds won't go that high but they maybe get 150 200 meters but uh, i prefer to go when the weather is warmer normally from 10 to 12 to one o'clock like today we did it but sometimes if i have other things to do i have I go seven o'clock, getting the sun out and start flying at that time. Cool. Okay. The falcon will won't go that high, but at the end, to go and make a kill to a pigeon or to a dog, it will be enough. And the main thing flying during the week is to exercise the birds. So, so that's the main thing to get them out, and then to get the weekend with the bird that it it's in shape. That's important. Yeah, I agree. I, I, like I said, I mean, there's there wouldn't be a, like I said, you wouldn't be able to achieve those those altitudes those if, altitudes, if they weren't yes. fit. Yes, yes. Along so. of these years flying these two birds, I I can be telling you lots of histories about it. But yes, every time you go to the field, it's a new new thing, a new mm-hmm. way to hunt, to kill, a new way to approach the dog, and that's what I love of falconry. You never. In the moment you release the bird, you will, you won't know what will happen. Yeah. Sometimes it's a good day. Sometimes it wasn't that good. Yeah. Well, transition and uh, kind of tell a couple of those stories. I mean, we definitely love love hearing those as well. So, <laughs> I mean, you mentioned that you could <laughs> go on for a little, go on for a little bit. You know, tell a, a few of these stories then that that you, some of the more notable flights that you've had with some of these birds then. Yes, also uh, hunting like two days ago, going hunting with a nice... Normally, to, to have a nice hunting day is to get white skies, like two days ago. Uh, that's important because you, then you can see the bird higher. Like today, as you saw, the blue sky, it's difficult to see the bird. Then you have to look at the cell to, to, see, to see the bird. But with blue skies, and then if you get a white, sky, a white clouds, it's easier to fly. You can leave the birds go higher, and then the stoops will sound much better. Today, as you notice it, it was a windy day, so the sound with the bird, when it stoops, you can sometimes not hear it. But uh, that's a good thing. Uh, there is not a day that looks to another one, and that's what I like of this hobby. Well, and as far as just some of the the different flights that some of these birds have have had, then is there a particular stoop or a particular flight or um, like a particular way in which the the dog and the bird kind of work together that that sticks out in your mind? Or the the second flight of Lucy, you notice it that she came very high, came from underneath, mm-hmm. and she tried to hit the dog from underneath. Mm-hmm. I try to flush the dogs when the bird is out of position so that I leave the dogs to get higher. And then you can see that kind of light that the falcon gets from underneath, hit the dog, hit the, the dog and before getting on the floor, drafts him in the air, but dead. Mm-hmm. So I hit it in the first uh, stoop and then it grabs it before getting to the floor. Mm-hmm. That's what, one of my favorites flights of Lucy and she's done she tried to do it today yeah but she missed it as you mm-hmm. notice it mm-hmm. was a, it was a windy day and that gets difficult 
But I think that's what my favorite. I've seen it, doing it maybe four or five times, and it's amazing. Hitting, killing the dog, uh, dog, and before getting to the land, rabbit in the air, it's beautiful. Mm. Even when Diego Pareja, a, a Spanish guy, was flying here in Aguascalientes, I think like four or five years ago, the last flight of Lucy, uh, he brought a guy, uh, Danny Salas, a Spanish guy that had a really professional camera. And he filmed Lucy doing that in, this, in her last flight. Uh, and it was beautiful. O sea, I'll, I'll send it that, so that you can see it. O sea, in the same place where we visit today. O sea, hitting and, and then grabbing it before falling to the floor. It's beautiful. Yeah, I, I'd love to see it. That's amazing. I, yeah. I'll send you the, the video. Yeah, well, and as far as um, like, what was was there another one, another type of flight that sticks out in your mind? I think that one is one of the best because yeah. I've seen it lots of times. So that's a good thing when you get a nice camera, the what uh, good quality of filming, mm -hmm. then you can repeat it and see it. <laughs> Every time I go to the field at night when I go to bed, uh, I repeat and remember, and try to past and remember all the flights I've I've seen at least in that day. And that's another thing I could, I like to do. I mean, it's it's important to have those memories. Yes. Because as we get older, we forget more. <laughs> you know, as <laughs> I agree with you. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, well, as far as, um, I mean, just out of curiosity too, with some of the earlier birds that you flew whenever you were a young kid or, you know, starting to get into it, was there a particular bird in your early days that kind of, you know, was I had a Harris hawk that I had it for maybe four or five years. I remember it. Because I think it was one of my first birds. But uh, after seeing anatoms hunting dogs, uh, I think I, that's my favorite part. So, yeah. uh, with age, you change your yeah. every your, Every other memory. Yeah. <laughs> every other memory just pales in comparison. Yes, but peregrines, I think that's my passion. And I, I hope to continue flying peregrines for lots of years. Well, I, I hope that's the case. I'm really happy do. to have you here. Well, I'm I'm happy. you know I'm happy to be here, and I'm so happy that uh, that all this has worked out without anything uh, majorly going wrong. You know, knock on uh, <laughs> knock on wood. You know, but um, well, I mean, I think it would be good to go ahead and just close in with uh, something else that I like to ask uh, a lot of guests, and I've been doing I've been doing this more lately. But you know, from your point of view, having flown you know birds for so many years now a longer amount of years than, than I've been alive. And I mean, with all that wealth of experience that you have, is there anything that you would like to, um, you know, pass on to uh, a little bit of a, you know, a piece of advice or a bit of knowledge or something as far as, you know, what, what you think might be useful to other generations? Or? I think uh, what I like to do is uh, if there is a guy that wants to see what I'm doing in Aguascalientes, he's always invited. O sea, someone that is interested in seeing what we are doing in Aguascalientes, like we fly falcons, how we hunt, why we fly passage, it's always invited because, as you know, uh, falconry is not that common. So when you find another people, another persons that they have the same passion, it's that's a great part of falconry, getting together, getting people from other countries and show show them how we fly here, it's always nice. So as I told you, it, it, an important part is to go flying and hunting and seeing a nice stoop and trying not only to kill the dogs, you know, to see the falcon fly as high and as fast as they do it because it's always amazed me how, fly, how they fly. But uh, everything that goes around the falconry, as you know, and I told you, then we go to have big launches and... <laughs> Lots of tequila and <laughs> nice talks and lots of lies, but that's great part of falconry. Yeah. Get together. We've been the last two years, as we all know, uh, a pandemia has been terrible for everyone. But uh, I think we are close to get out of this and we'll get together again. And it's always nice to have people like you that are interested in falconry and hunting and to knowing other things on on Mexico, they're always invited. Happy to have you here, John. Well, and like I said, I think thank you so much, and I'm I'm very happy that that there are at least some 
you know, Falconers. And, and luckily I've been fortunate enough to meet a fair amount of them who are so willing to kind of cultivate those relationships and share knowledge and experiences and just, um, you know, build those relationships because they understand that in order for this to continue for future yes. generations and, yes. and, and things, it's important, you know, to do that. So. Yes. Today I'm flying with friends, Falconers friends, that they are 25 years younger than me. And that's nice because they're the new generations that are pushing the sport to maintain. Mm -hmm. And that's happy. Also, I'm happy about it also, to see new people with the same passion that they want to be in the field and be hunting. It's always nice because maybe in the next years forward, they're going to take us flying. Yeah, no, I agree. And uh, you know, like I said, I, I hope that... Uh, then in turn, those those next generations will will do the same, yes. and hopefully this will continue to to be around for many more generations. I mean, it's it's only going to keep getting more challenging, unfortunately. I so, agree with that. Yes, yeah. and I agree, and I think the passion of falconry is growing every year, and I think this won't stop. No, I, I don't think so either, no. and I just hope that uh, I just hope it keeps growing in in the right way, just like everybody else. That's does. important. And, yeah. that's important to have yeah. a bird and not flying it, it's better to release it or not to have it. I, I, I agree with that. Yeah. So the bird has to be in the field and hunting and flying. I, I think that's... So I, I don't like breeding because I don't know nothing about it. Mm -hmm. But uh, I think a bird has to be flying and hunting. That's what I think, my personal Well, that's, that's pretty much the definition of, of falconry. Yes. You know? I mean, if you're not hunting with a with a trained bird of prey, then it's not yes. really, you know, falconry. And the closer as it will be doing what in the wild. Mm -hmm. So if that bird is not in my garden and is not flying four or five times a week, it's supposed to be uh, doing the same things as so hunting and eating. Yeah, I agree. I agree wholeheartedly. So yes. like I said, thank you again very, very much. And, uh, you know, like I said, you, everyone's hospitality, and including yours, has been so amazing, and I, I really appreciate it, and you taking the time to, uh, you know, to do this this week with us. So. We always get a nice excuse every time, like your visit, to not go, go going working and go flying. So, <laughs> so always it's a good excuse when you have a guest, and welcome. Welcome to Aguascalientes, John, and I hope it's not the first time the last one yeah you know i i hope so too and we'll see what happens but i would love to come back this has been this has been great thank so. you thank you for visiting us well, thank you and um i guess it'd be a good time to go have another beer and some tequila then, i'm ready for it <laughs> <laughs> let's go do it thank you john thank you